Spiritual Sword Media presents The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. As we look at Mark 16, we read of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then, prior to ascending to heaven, Jesus gave what is commonly called the Great Commission. And then, following that Great Commission, the Lord was transported to heaven, and those who belonged to Him, that is, His disciples, went out and began declaring the Word of God. The first thing I want to call your attention to has to do with the demand or the entreaty of the Lord. Jesus, having been resurrected from the dead, now instructs those who are His followers, His disciples. In verses 15 and 16, Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. In those two short verses, there are a number of things that you and I could amplify on if we had the time. But the first thing that I would just call your attention to is the mandate. Jesus said, go. He was interested in those who wore his name and those who would ultimately wear his name and be members of his kingdom to go and to publish abroad the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is, the good news. And we see that over and over again taking place as recorded by Luke in the book of Acts. And we're going to talk more about that in our third point. But first of all, there is the mandate. And then secondly, the masses. Jesus said, go into all the world. The world would include all people. God is interested in the salvation of humanity. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 4 that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. In 2 Peter chapter 3 at verse 9, Peter said in the long ago that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then I think about the words of Jesus himself during his earthly ministry, when he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God is interested in the human family, so much so that he sent his Son to die in our stead. And so when we talk about the Great Commission, first of all, there is the mandate. Secondly, the masses. And then thirdly, the message. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. The Lord was interested in His Word being proclaimed to a lost and dying world. Over and over again, you'll see in the book of Acts, the apostles and those first century Christians preaching and teaching the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. I think about the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 at verse 5, when he said, We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, 
and ourselves as your servants for his sake. You see, Paul, like the other first century saints, they understood that the power was in the word. That's why Paul would say in Romans 1 verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so we have the mandate, the masses, the message, and then the miracles. Now, look if you would at verses 17 and 18. Jesus had said that they were to go into all the world to preach the gospel to every creature. Those who believe and are baptized, he said, would be saved. Those who do not believe would ultimately stand condemned. And then in verse 17, these signs will follow those who believe. Signs are simply miracles. And so here's what the Lord said. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now all you have to do is read the New Testament and you'll find out that the apostles and those upon whom they laid hands had the ability to perform the miraculous. And there was a reason for that. Ultimately, it was to confirm or authenticate the word of God. And we'll look at that in verse 20 in just a moment. But nonetheless, the Lord set forth his demand. That demand, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And in so doing, he would confirm or authenticate the words of the disciples or apostles through the signs that would accompany their preaching and teaching. But then in the second place, I want you to think with me about his departure. Because in verse 19... We have Mark telling us about the ascension or exodus of our Lord. Jesus, as you know, descended to the earth. He came to this earth in bodily form. John said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we, be we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem of Judea. He lived some 33 years. His earthly ministry consisted of about three years. At the end of his life, we know that he was put to death just outside the walls of Jerusalem between two, two thieves. Luke tells us that when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors or the thieves, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then he was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Three days later, he was resurrected from the grave. And then for a period of 40 days, Jesus showed himself to be alive by many infallible or unmistakable proofs. Many people had the opportunity to witness the resurrected Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 gives a lengthy list of those who had the opportunity to, to eyewitness the Son of God, in His resurrected form. But in verse 19, we read of His departure or His exodus. The Bible says, So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, He was received up into heaven. And so first of all, we think about His ascension. Did you know that in the Old Testament, there were prophecies given relative to the ascension of Jesus Christ? 
Let me just call your attention to a couple. Turn back, if you would, first of all, to the book of Psalms and look specifically at Psalm 24. In Psalm 24, the psalmist prophesies of the resurrection of Christ. In verse 7, here's what the psalmist said, Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. And then here is the question, Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. The psalmist here is pointing to the ascension of Jesus Christ. Now also in the book of Daniel. Look over in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel, as you know, prophesied in the long ago of the coming kingdom of God in chapter 2. He said of that kingdom it would be an everlasting kingdom, that it would be unlike those earthly kingdoms or domains that rise and fall. And in the second chapter of the book of Daniel, the prophet, in his, in his interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, speaks of four world empires that would rise and fall in successive order. He talks about the Babylonian Empire. And ultimately, Babylon yielded to the Medo-Persian Empire. And they, in turn, gave way to the Grecian Empire, which, in turn, yielded to the Roman Empire. And so in verse 44, he said, In the days of these kings, that is, in the days of the Roman kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. All right, look now at Daniel chapter 7. Daniel here is prophesying of the ascension of Jesus. And he makes reference to this everlasting kingdom that Jesus is the possessor of. In verse 13, he said, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days, that being God the Father. And they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. All right, so here Daniel prophesies of Jesus ascending to heaven. And he makes reference to this kingdom. And ultimately... It would be in this kingdom that all people must bow and be a member of in order to enjoy the blessings and privileges of sonship. All right, now go back if you would and look at Mark 16. Mark, first of all, talks about the ascension. And then, in the second place, he talks about his authority. Mark said he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Now you can read over in the book of Acts in chapter 1 verses 9 through 11. When Jesus ascended into heaven, two angels in white apparel stood by the apostles and they simply asked the question, Why do you stand here gazing into heaven? This same Jesus that was taken up from you will so come in like manner as you have seen him Go into heaven. And so ultimately the angels announce 
the second coming of Jesus Christ. When he will come, we do not know. Jesus said of that day and hour, knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. We simply know he will one day come. He will come, as Peter said, as a thief in the night. But in verse 19, Mark said he sat down at the right hand of God. Now I said that this is an allusion here to his authority. We think about his position. Well, Mark said that he took a seat at the Father's right hand. And that is, is only a designation of his power. All power, all authority has been entrusted into the hands of Jesus. Listen to him in Matthew chapter 28 verse 18. Jesus said, all authority, all power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And then also I think about passages like 1 Peter chapter 3 at verse 22. When the Bible speaks of Jesus Christ being seated at the Father's right hand, angels, authorities, and powers being made subject unto him. Now how then does Jesus legislate his power or his authority? He does it by his word. Now we talk about completed revelation. And you and I today, we have what James identifies as the perfect law of liberty. We have the word of God. And we can take assurance in the fact that all things pertaining to life and godliness have been revealed. As Paul said, all scripture inspired of God is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. So Jesus has all authority. He has all power. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1 verses 22 and 23 that God put all things in subjection under his feet, made him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus is the head of the church. He resides in heaven. He legislates the activities of the church and his people who comprise the church through his word. That's why it's so important for us to emphasize to people the word of God. This is the book that rules our lives. Paul would say, let the, let the word of Christ rule in your hearts or dwell in your hearts. In Colossians 3 at verse 16, let it find a, a home in your heart. Why? Because that's our standard. That's our authority. And so we talk about his position, his power. Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God. But he also functions as a priest. In, in the book of Hebrews at chapter 8 at verse 1, the Hebrew writer said, the sum of the things which we have spoken is simply this. We have a high priest who is now seated at the right hand of the majesty in the heavens. Jesus functions today as our great high priest. Think about what Jesus does on our behalf. He is first of all said to be a mediator. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 5 that there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Not only is he our mediator, he is our intercessor. He makes intercession for us. That's what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 7 verse 25. The Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for us. And then also he functions as an advocate on our behalf. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, John said, My little children, these things I write to you that you might not sin. But he said, if any man sins, let him know he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
Jesus functions as our advocate, as our attorney in heaven. And he is literally pleading our case before the heavenly father. And thus you and I, we can stand in the presence of God guiltless or that is we can stand pure and just based on his sacrifice, that being his sinless blood. All right, so we think about his power, his position, and his priesthood. Now look, if you would, at verse 20, because in verse 20, we find his disciples. We've noted, first of all, his demand. Secondly, his departure, that is, he ascended to heaven. But then in the third place, his disciples. Note, note if you would, what is said in verse 20 by Mark. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. So we read now of the efforts of these early disciples. What did they do? Well, Mark said they went out and preached everywhere. Do you remember what Jesus said prior to ascending to heaven to the apostles? He instructed them, according to Luke in chapter 24, verse 49, to tarry in Jerusalem until, he said, you be endued with power from on high. In Acts chapter 1 at verse 8, Jesus told the apostles that they would be his witnesses, beginning, he said, in Jerusalem and in Judea, and he said, in Samaria, and to the end or to the uttermost part of the earth. You don't have to read very far in the book of Acts to see the gospel permeating the world. For example, in Acts chapter 2 on Pentecost Day, some 3,000 souls yielded obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Over in Acts chapter 4 at about verse 4, the Bible says that the number of men came to about 5,000. And then in Acts chapter 5 at verse 14, the believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. What was happening? The gospel was getting into the hearts and lives of people. It was, finding, it was finding a home in honest and good hearts. People were obeying the truth of God and thus becoming New Testament Christians. And so in Acts chapter 6, the inspired writer, Luke, could tell us that the number of disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem. Then turn over to Acts chapter 8. In the 8th chapter of the book of Acts, we read of the gospel going into Samaria. First of all, that great persecution swept the early church. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, they were all scattered abroad with the exception of the apostles. In verse 4, the Bible says that those who were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. That was the message that they were instructed to impart to a lost and dying world. Not philosophy, not the opinions and whims of mankind, but rather the Word of God. They went everywhere preaching the Word. And so in verse 5, the Bible says that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to the people. Well, this was all in fulfillment to what Jesus had said as recorded by Luke back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. They would be His witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. 
So first of all, we think about his disciples going out and preaching everywhere. They verbalized the word of God. There are two things I think you and I need to appreciate about the early church, the early disciples. Number one, they were willing to bear the cross. You remember Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. They were willing to bear the cross of Christ in their own lives. As a matter of fact, you can read throughout the book of Acts and over and over again, one of the things that stands out, these men were willing to put it all on the line for the cause of Christ. Today we live in a world of comfort and ease, even luxury. And many of us face very little by way of hardship in this life. I look at the life of the Apostle Paul and I see a man that bore in his body, as he said to the saints in Galatia, the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Read sometime from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and note the suffering that Paul himself bore for the cause of Christ. And sometimes we are unconcerned about the cause. There are times in life when we're, will we're not willing to go beyond our comfort zone in advancing the kingdom of God. That wasn't the case with the early church, the early disciples. There are a lot of people in the church today who are not willing to inconvenience themselves for the cause of Christ. Read the lives of men like Peter, and Paul, and James, and John. And you'll see men that literally put it on the line for Christ. In Acts chapter 15, we read about the efforts of Paul and Barnabas. And Luke said concerning these men that they risked their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. Read Acts chapter 5. The apostles were beaten. They were beaten for the cause of Christ, and yet they rejoiced in that they were counted worthy to suffer shame. For his name. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are those who suffer for righteousness' sake. So we think about they were willing to verbalize the word, they were willing to bear the cross, but not just bear the cross, they were willing to share the cross. In Acts chapter 8, verse 4, the Bible says they went everywhere. Those who were, who were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Not just the preachers, not just the elders, not just the deacons. Everyone who comprised the body of Christ recognized the importance of sharing the cross. Look again at, at Paul when he said, We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord. I've said it before and I believe it to be the case. When you look at the life of Paul, you see a preaching and teaching machine. I mean, this guy, everywhere he went, I see somebody who was preaching and teaching the Christ. I don't care who it was. He was going to share the cross with someone. And if we want to be what the New Testament church was in the first century, we've got to go back and start sharing the cross with others. No other way. So, they verbalized the word and then... There was the validation of the word. Note again what Mark said. They went out, preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. 
Well, what signs? Well, back up and look at verse 17 again. In my name they will cast out demons. You know anybody today that can cast out demons? He goes on to say, they will speak with new tongues. You know anybody today that can speak in new tongues? I'm not talking about jargon. I'm talking about in a language that somebody has not been trained in. In other words, here's somebody that has the ability to speak in a foreign language that they have never studied before. That's what, that's what Jesus means when he talks about new tongues. Then he said they will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, he said it won't hurt them. You know anybody that can do that today? I don't know anybody that can. I hear people talking about being able to perform the miraculous. I hear people today praying for miracles and asking for miracles. But I've yet to see somebody who's willing to drink strychnine. Why? Because the age of the miraculous has passed. Why? Well, there was a reason for the miraculous. Look again at verse 20. In verse 20, they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. The signs validated the message. In other words, the signs that they performed, the miracles that they performed, validated, authenticated that this is indeed the word of the living God. Read Hebrews chapter 2 verse 4. God bore witness through what? Through signs and wonders and miracles. Well, today we have what? We have the completed word of God. We don't have to have the word confirmed by the accompanying signs. Now, over in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul said, whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part shall be done away. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the miraculous. And he's saying that prophecies and tongues and knowledge, those, those gifts that were given in the first century, they would vanish away. They would cease. They would no longer be needed. Well, when would they no longer be needed? When that which is perfect is come. What is that which is perfect? It's called the perfect law of liberty. James 1 verse 25. What is that? It is the word of the living God. You and I today, as Peter said, we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. In 2 Peter chapter 1 at verse 3. Jude said, contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. We have today completed revelation. And so there, there is no need for the miraculous. If you hear somebody talk about they have the ability to perform miracles today, well, you can just write that person off because the fact of the matter is they don't have that kind of ability. Jesus ascended to heaven. He is now at the Father's right hand. We today have His message. And what He wants us to do is take it into all the world. One day, the same Jesus who sits at the Father's right hand is going to come again. I don't know when He's coming, but I know He's coming. And when He comes, He will be seated on the throne of His glory. And as Jesus said, all nations will be gathered before Him. He'll begin to separate them or sift them as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And guess what? We're going to be judged not on the basis of what we think, 
not on the basis of popular, of popular opinions, but rather we're going to be judged on the basis of truth. God's Word. Here's what Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. In Romans 2, verse 2, Paul said, We know that the judgment of God is according to truth. Jesus is in heaven. He legislates us today through His Word. Let me ask this question in closing. Have you submitted to His Word? Jesus said, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. There's not an easier to be understood statement in the English language. We can all understand that. Those who believe and are baptized will be saved. Those who do not, well, Jesus said they will be condemned. Have you been baptized for the remission of sins, for forgiveness? If you've done that, then the Lord has then added you to His body. Acts 2 verse 47. And the promise is, if you'll live faithfully until death, the crown of life. Revelation 2 at verse 10. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again and to see video archives, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life When the clouds unfold their wings of strife When the strong tides lift and the cables strain Will your anchor drift or firm remain? We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.